You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The National Association of Manufacturers were hacked during Sino-American trade negotiations. Ineffectual DDoS attacks hit both of the UK's largest political parties, Pemex says it's completed recovery from ransomware. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services will investigate Google's Project Nightingale for possible HIPAA issues. And did Blue Keep warnings scare people into patching? Apparently not. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. Reuters reported this morning that the National Association of Manufacturers, a major U.S. industry group, came under cyber attack by Chinese intelligence services earlier this year as Sino-American trade tensions grew. The association says it hired an outside cybersecurity firm to investigate and stop the breach. Neither the U.S. government nor the Chinese embassy has so far commented, but the story is still developing. In advance of next month's elections, both of the UK's two largest parties are considering the risk of disruption by cyber attack. Monday's cyber attack against Britain's Labour Party was repeated yesterday. Reuters says the Conservative Party sustained its own DDoS attack yesterday. While sources suggest this attack came from a different actor, this incident also looks unsophisticated and minor. A Tory spokeswoman, when asked about it, said she had nothing to offer on the subject, which she said she hadn't heard of. That suggests that neither party was particularly seriously afflicted. Labour did qualify the original report, saying that yesterday's incident was indeed sophisticated and thwarted by their robust security, and party leader Jeremy Corbyn expressed his own concern that upcoming elections might be conducted under the threat of cyber attack. But the apparent ease with which Labour shrugged off the attack suggests that original characterization of the distributed denial-of-service attack as unsophisticated were probably closer to the mark. Computing reports that Cloudflare, which mitigated the attack on Labour's networks, called the attack nothing special and said it was the sort of thing we deal with daily. Another observation quoted in Computing characterized the incident as "...nothing more than what you would expect to see on a regular basis." It looked like someone bored in their bedroom with a botnet. The Independent cites former GCHQ honcho Brian Lord, now with PGI, to the effect that Labour could have been hit by a nation-state, but reading what he actually told the paper makes his take less alarming. There's an a priori possibility that a nation-state could run a dumbed-down attack, for sure, 
And sure, criminals and others will often use DDoS as misdirection to distract security teams from something more serious. But again, that's a matter of a priori possibility, something to consider, of course, but keep calm and carry on. So nothing special, apparently, just the normal skid background noise. But we do like board in the bedroom with a botnet. It's a variation on the familiar picture of the big guy in his parents' basement. But maybe British skids are different in that way from their transatlantic cousins. As we head quickly and relentlessly into the holiday shopping season, retailers are looking to their websites and e-commerce as primary avenues for sales. Imperva recently published a report citing the growing threat of bots interfering with commerce sites. Edward Roberts works in product marketing for bot management at Imperva. The main finding that people should understand is that uh, your website lies to you and that the, the users are on there are there are fake users and they are fake in that they are bots, um, but they are not benign and they are on your site for a reason. So they could be uh, doing a multitude of things like scraping your prices, trying to uh, use credentials to get into uh, any accounts that you have there, trying to steal gift card balances, um, all manner of things um, to try and uh, exploit your business. So whatever functionality you put on that website, there is some bot or some piece of automation that is trying to abuse it. And typically uh, what we saw in this report was 17.7% of all traffic on all of the websites that we we covered, and it was over over 200, um, 17.7% of that traffic was bad bots. So these are bots that you do not want on there. You know, there are good bots like Google that you would willingly have, but uh, these are bad ones who are doing the nefarious things that I mentioned. As someone running a website, how do you differentiate between the good and the bad and try to put controls on the bad bots? Yeah, that's the that's the big challenge is that, you know, you can uh, use your various security tools that you have. You might use your, your WAF and block certain IP addresses in certain countries and um, and, and do things manually and try and uh, clean your traffic that way. But um, in the end, there are there are bot management solutions that are out there that are are, are built to actually automatically clean your traffic um, from with these bad bots. Um, and so, you know, that's the the ultimate solution. But you know, there are techniques you can do to you know to block them on your own as well. So, what were some of the key take homes in the the research that you did here? The wide array of things that bots can be tasked with doing on your site is 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 larger across e-commerce sites because they have more different styles of functionality and information available on their websites than other um, other websites. Um, so, for example, competitors are scraping all your prices. Um, so that's one group of people who are trying to damage you in the marketplace by making sure that they beat you um, price-wise or they understand what sales or promotions you're offering or what uh, delivery discounts you've put in place. So there is a, a scraping of, uh, of of information. And if you have thousands and thousands of products that you sell on your e-commerce site, um, there are people scraping each one of those. And, you know, that's a volume of traffic that you were not really expecting to to deliver to bots um, and to your competitors. So it's uh, it's definitely affects your competitive place in the market. The other ones are, are things like what they call Grinch bots or sneaker bots. 
So these are, if you have rare items, um, you, you see them in sneakers. There are limited edition sneakers that are made available by, by various sneaker companies. And if you have those made available, it's very similar to ticketing. There's a finite number of them. So bots are used to try and claim that inventory before anybody else can get them. And then if they can get them at the, the, the list price um, and the demand is high enough, they can then resell them somewhere else on a secondary market. So you have these, um, you know, you're, you're making the customer experience for somebody who wants to get those limited ex- uh, limited edition items um, more difficult for them. You're, you're leading to customer dissatisfaction and uh, they're having to pay more or pay a premium as well for that for that dissatisfaction. Another range of ones are gift card uh, balances. Bots can be used to enumerate through the numbers of those gift cards and see which ones have balances. And if they find ones that have balances, they can then use that that number to buy things. And suddenly you find that a customer has uh, got a gift card that no longer has a balance on it, but they thought it had you know a certain amount of money on it. So um, the, the ability of uh, bots to to look at what's on your website and understand what to, what they can go after and what they can exploit is is really wide. And so those are a few examples that of some of the findings that we had in the in the report thinking about it in terms of what's available on your website it's how could that information be used by somebody against me um, you know and it's it's a, it's amazing how many different use cases we see um, but that I think that that's a testament to the cat and mouse part of this is that there are so much information that people uh, you know find valuable that they are willing to invest money to actually uh, launch these bots and the economics around it are in their favor. So they're not there for a benign reason. I think that some people in the past have thought that they were benignly there. They're just, oh, it's just internet junk that's going around. Um, and it's just a simple, simple automated script. But really, the majority of it is actually quite sophisticated. And they're trying to attack a certain part of your website for a particular reason. That's Edward Roberts from Imperva. The report is titled Automated Cyber Attacks on E-Commerce Companies, growing more sophisticated and difficult to detect. Pemex continues to work toward recovery from the ransomware attack it sustained over the weekend. The Mexican oil giant's administrative systems are believed to have been hit with doppelpamer ransomware. Reuters, which has been in email contact with people who may or may not be the attackers, says the extortionists complain that Pemex missed its chance at a discount and that the ransom is now $5 million in Bitcoin. Computing connects the attack to the Russian criminal gang also running Drydex and BitPamer. CrowdStrike has called that group Indrik Spider. Pemex says that operations are back to normal and that production was unaffected, Reuters reports. Google's Project Nightingale, which would collect and analyze patient information from the Ascension healthcare system, has come under investigation by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, the Wall Street Journal reports. At least two matters are of concern. Was patient approval obtained to share HIPAA-protected data, and are those data adequately secured? Computing sources its own coverage of the agreement between Ascension and Google, in part, to what appear to be two PowerPoint presentations from the organizations leaked with commentary by someone computing characterizes as a whistleblower. The Wall Street Journal broke the story about Project Nightingale yesterday, the intent of the agreement between Google and Ascension, a Catholic network of healthcare providers that's regarded as the second largest in the U.S., with tens of millions of patients, seems to be the improvement of both administration and clinical outcomes. But as observers are quoted by the journal, the optics are bad for Google, 
even if those two goals are really the only ones Mountain View has in mind. You do want patient consent for the use of their data. Computing story suggests that the data might be used for other, less mission-focused purposes as well. The story is developing. You'd think Blue Keep scares would have motivated patching, but you'd think wrong, so says Sands. Sure, Blue Keep's been around for a long time, and so has the patch for it. And sure, Shodan searches indicate that the number of unpatched machines has been tailing off along a gentle downward path for months. But were people energized to patch by all the recent media chatter? Apparently not. That path continues to slope gently downward. Sands says there are still hundreds of thousands of vulnerable systems out there. And Sands hopes they get patched before they turn into worm food. Speaking of patches, yesterday was Patch Tuesday. Microsoft addressed 74 vulnerabilities, including one zero-day. Do take a look. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's the Program Director for Public Policy and External Affairs at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, it's great to have you back. Always good to be here, Dave. Uh, interesting story came by. Uh, this is a press release from the Attorney General of California who is uh, petitioning the San Francisco Superior Court to go after Facebook for some things. What's going on here? So the Attorney General of the state of California, uh, Javier Becerra, is petitioning a superior court to compel Facebook to hand over documents. 
Um, this is the first time we're hearing about this investigation conducted by the California Department of Justice into a couple of Facebook's practices. Hmm. Uh, one of the allegations is that they're violating user privacy rights, and the other has to do with their involvement with Cambridge Analytica and um, the collection of data of over 87 million of their users. The California Attorney General and the California Department of Justice had issued subpoenas requesting documents, uh, information on both the Cambridge Analytica scandal and specific questions on their uh, privacy policy and their privacy practices. Hmm. And so they issued a series of written questions, interrogatories. They alleged that Facebook refused to respond to several of the questions contained within those interrogatories. They said that some of the other answers were incomplete or missing information and were wholly inadequate to the scale of the investigation. And as a result, uh, not only is Attorney General Becerra going to court, but he's going public with the fact that Facebook is is being investigated. Hmm. Um, And that's sort of a tool he has in his toolbox. Going public sort of puts Facebook on notice at a time when, frankly, um, they've been in the national spotlight and they don't want to face any additional political scandals. Well, uh, help me understand the the sort of process here when it comes to subpoenas. If if I get subpoenaed to provide information, my assumption is that I I can't just drag my feet or or pick and choose what questions I'm going to answer. Right. So a subpoena itself is compelling you to to hand over that data. Uh, Generally, the legal standard for uh, obtaining a subpoena, for getting that information, is smaller. It it is uh, less rigorous than uh, obtaining documents through some sort of warrant or something like that. Hmm. This is an administrative subpoena, so it's just a request for records. Um, Obviously, a subpoena means you are required to comply by law. uh, And if you don't, then uh, as we see here, the Department of Justice as an avenue of going to court to have a court enforce uh, the transfer of documents from Facebook or any company uh, to the California Department of Justice. And that would be a process that would be overseen uh, by the Superior Court in California. So is this is this a situation where they will now get in front of a judge and, and a judge will decide what a reasonable timeline is and and say to Facebook, if you don't do these things, these are the potential uh, heartaches you, that you're in for? Exactly. So they can impose uh, potential civil or criminal penalties on Facebook. I think we're probably a long way from getting to that point. Mm. Facebook perhaps will take uh, these requests seriously, not only because the Superior Court has gotten involved, but because this is now all on the public record. Um, and like I said, I mean, they're dealing with national scandals related to uh, their change in policy as it applies to advertisements uh, mm-hmm. on their <laughs> on their platform. Uh, so this is just, you know, sort of another headache they probably don't want. Uh, my guess is that they will probably be more apt to fulfill these subpoenas, uh, to respond more fully to these interrogatories now that this investigation is public and now that the Superior Court has gotten involved. I will note that the vice president of state and local policy of Facebook said in a statement that they've cooperated extensively with the state of California's investigation. He says they provided uh, thousands of pages of written responses and hundreds of thousands of documents. I have no reason to actually doubt that that's the case. Um, that still doesn't tell us whether they fully comply with the subpoena. You know, If it's true that they haven't answered information demanded in, in interrogatories, then they haven't fulfilled the obligations of that subpoena, even if they've handed over hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. Mm-hmm. So they could potentially still be in a, a good bit of trouble. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, 
Facebook doesn't seem to be doing themselves any favors. They sure aren't. It would be nice for their purposes as they could stay out of the news, although since they control the news these days, <laughs> right. that's, I, I think that's probably uh, literally impossible. Okay. So, All right. Well, as always, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And don't forget to check out the Caveat Podcast, where Ben Yellen and I take on law and policy issues, surveillance, and privacy. Our guest this week is former Secretary of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff. He weighs in on the crypto wars. It's the Caveat Podcast. Do check it out. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.